mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. American Glutton is now on Patreon. If you want weekly bonus episodes, ad-free episodes, or you'd like to watch the video versions of the show, check out patreon.com slash American Glutton. We've also got a great community on our Discord channel, which is only available to our Patreon members. Check us out at patreon.com slash American Glutton. Hi, I'm Ethan Suplee. Welcome to American Glutton. Outside of acting, my two favorite things to do are diet and eat. I have a very complicated relationship with food, and on this podcast, we're going to talk about all of it. Food as entertainment. Food as sport. Food as fuel. I'll talk to experts and the average person just like you and me. I hate to ask you to do anything, but if you're enjoying the show, please take a moment to like, subscribe, rate, review, all of the above on whatever app you're getting it from. American Glutton is brought to you by Trifecta. Trifecta is the perfect tool for diet and maintenance adherence. It reduces time, thought, and effort in making sure I am never without the food I need to succeed. Go to www.trifectanutrition.com slash American Glutton, where you will get 40% off your first order. My guest today is Josh Peck, actor, writer, and YouTuber. Josh has just released his first memoir entitled Happy People Are Annoying. Josh lost over 100 pounds and is here to talk about his struggles with weight loss and being in the public eye. You can find him on Instagram at Shua Peck. Josh Peck, welcome to the American Glutton Podcast. What a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Dude, thanks for doing it. I um, I can't think of really anybody else, certainly not recently, who has gone through something so similar to me and so relatable. And and so it's just like amazing to to have you here and to talk to you and to get your perspective on everything. You know, you're so right, because so many people like 
certainly we have so many examples of people growing up in the spotlight and having like long careers and going from sort of adolescence to adulthood. And then we certainly have people who have lost weight and had struggles with, with, you know, body stuff, but rarely do we have people who have sort of done both so publicly. So I feel like you and I are part of a very small club. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> and you, yeah. did, and you did it slowly from what I've read, right? You took your time. It wasn't like something that you got done in a few months and then were out of it. Like, what was your process? I think so around 16 years old, I was uh, sort of hovering constantly between 290 and 300 pounds. And I was about 5'11". I had always been overweight. So I really had no sort of good baseline under all that weight. I just was very, very overweight. And uh, I remember specifically when I was 17, I had been hip to the way weight was controlling my life and food and for forever. My mom had had struggles. I could see like, oh, like this is like a menacing force to the packs. And um, and so when I finally decided to make the decision, it what had really changed was instead of doing like these crash diets or I'm going to go full Atkins at 300 pounds and see what happens and lose 10 pounds in two days and then gain it back in the next two. It was truly me making sort of like this this decision that I was going to always have to live to fight another day. And if that meant one day I didn't do as well as the day before, if I slipped, if I cheated, what have you, I would just keep going. And so, yeah, over about over two years, I'd say I lost the first 50 pounds. And then by the time I was about 19, I'd gotten down new a little under 180 pounds. I can't fuck. I, I don't want to swear. I can't <laughs> tell you how envious I am hearing that because I did the opposite for almost 15 years of I, I, I'm just so anxious. I got to get it off right now. So I'm going to do something so extreme and so unsustainable. Right. And there was no that that whole thing that you're talking about, like got to live to fight another day. My other day ended as soon as the diet ended. Like I had I, I just didn't think it through enough, I think. And so it was as soon as I lose the weight, I'll be cured versus mm. what you're talking about, which I find to be so true for myself today is I just need to like examine my entire life and maybe confront that I'm going to be doing a version of this forever. It doesn't have to suck. It can be whatever I want it to be, not beat myself up so bad. Like, it's so awesome what you did. Well, thank you. And to you too. I mean, again, it's like, and watching you, you know, on Rogan or like in men's health or like all these, you know, to see someone and everyone's journey is specific to them, but for me, like, and I think it's just the nature of overdoing things, but sometimes you can overdo things that are healthy for you. Yeah. It's like, I, I love seeing examples of people like you who, who said, I'm not going to, I'm, I'm not going to settle, you know, I'm not going to accept the fact that maybe because I was, you know, never in shape growing up that, you know, even I'll just lose the weight and sort of coast. It was like, no, you, you leveled up. I mean, you took your body, you're in a place now that that most people our age aren't in who totally grew up with like a very normal sort of weight trajectory. So I got to ask you because we can relate on this. Like uh, uh, you're in your thirties, right? I know dude, I'm 45. I'm an oh, old well, man. You look, 
you look great. So you're in your 40, even better though, right? Because like I'm 35 now and I look at other 35 year olds and I'm like, I'm in the like 5%. of like people in shape you must feel the same way like looking at other 45 year olds like have some self-control well it's so weird because (laughs) like the majority of my friends were in peak physical form in their 20s and and teen years when we were like friends and like and and they would be very athletic and then they're still pretty athletic but it has gone the other way where I have got, I have come into my prime and they are all experiencing what average mid 40 to 50 year old men, you know, what, what the standard is, which is like a paunch and, you know, slowing totally. down a bit. And, and like, I'm not mad at them for this. It's just, it is, it is funny to your point where you look around and you go like the average person my age is not necessarily doing as well as I am doing physically. Well, I think, you know, uh, it, it's so funny. I, I, I look at my son sometimes and he's three years old and I'll be like putting his clothes on for school. And like, I'll look at his stomach or his chest or something for a moment and be like, Oh God, like, and he's just so perfect. He's three, you know? And I'll be like, don't mess this up. <laughs> like, cause I know what it was like to sort of do irreversible damage to where I had to get plastic surgery and do all these alterations. And it's like, it's all good. It was part of my story, but there are so many people who don't go through what we did, who are just in great shape through their teens and twenties. And and I want to be like, don't take it for granted because you might be the guy in your forties. Who's like, oh, darn, I got to get bigger pants. Yeah, 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 totally. <laughs> I, I think I have four kids. I'm going to be a grandfather wow. in April, no. which is crazy and wild. And I'm wow. excited. Yeah. Um, I think with each and every one of them, and they're all very different, unique people, but I've had that experience. Like I ruined it. This kid, I ruined this kid. I need to have another one and start over. And then, you know, you, you have a little bit of time and some perspective and you go, okay, they're not ruined. I'm going to start working and I'm going to change my behaviors. But it is true that like these little things that we might not think about, or we might take for granted over a lifetime, or even if you're going to go like over a decade or something, they stack up and they can have a profound effect. Right. Do you, do you mind if I ask you some questions? Cause I no. feel like how rare would it be that you and I having such a similar kind of road to hold? like when you got into acting and you were heavier, like as a teenager and in your twenties, did you find like, there was really, especially in the 90s, like there were only two trajectories. You were either going to play the best friend or the bully. Period. Right. Yeah. And and then on like, I strangely on my first job was the best, was the bully who was also at times the best friend. Like I would, I would go from being the bully, but I didn't really like necessarily being a bully. I was like a sweetheart. So it was re- really weird. But yes, absolutely. There was no... We, we're the guys who are going to fall down and get a mm. laugh or be intimidating. And did you find like that people sort of, I also, and I talk about this in the book, like there was no, there was no body positivity um, of what we have today, which is sort of this beautiful sort of um, growth that we've had. Then it was like open season for people to talk about your weight, the way you looked, comment on it and like immediately relegate you to like a very, like one lane. Yeah. hundred percent. And, and let me ask you this because for me, I, I, it, it, 
would crush me so much. Were you sensitive about this? I was so sensitive and I was in awe of people who could just let it roll off their back. Cause there, there were certainly guys growing up who were like, and I don't know whether, you know, again, as I said, I came from a household of people who were struggling with weight, like growing up, I would sit with my mom at Overeaters Anonymous or Weight Watchers meetings. And so food was always um, dysfunctional. But I would see other people who would come from homes where like maybe people were bigger or maybe they were just big and they were still pretty good at sports. They could still get a girlfriend and like they weren't defined by their weight. But for me, weight felt like it walked in the room before I did. And I was at a I walked into every room at a disadvantage because I thought people thought what I thought of myself, which is like I'm out of control and I don't deserve as much respect as other people. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, if if there was ever uh, an overweight kid with their shirt off at the pool, I would look at them like a god. Like, what is this magical power? Because I'm looking at you, and all the things I'm thinking about myself don't exist for you, though we're very similar. It's oh my god the the wearing wearing his shirt at the pool like and I remember when it changed because like I I think I had like impunity till I was eight or nine. And yeah. then at 10 years old, it just was like, oh, I, I don't love the way I'm looking currently. And it was shirt on till till today. I still wouldn't mind throwing on a shirt in the pool. Yeah, no, me too. If I'm <laughs> if I'm with my kids alone, the shirt comes off. But in public, I just don't feel it just I just am not comfortable with my body. And where early on, like, did you find like, like I said, I had my, my mom and I had early sort of dysfunction with food. What was food like for you growing up in your house? I, you know, I had no sense of my body at all until I was five. Mm. And at five, the first time I could have this idea of like, oh, oh, this is like, I'm never thought about this before, but this body is a thing that I can think about and I can have opinions about. I had visited my grandparents and they saw me and were kind of like, oh, my God, your parents have ruined you. You're terribly obese and we need to do something. And there was a whole like summer trip where everything was about my weight. And it was like, we're going to weigh you in the morning and we're going to pinch parts of you and we're going to examine you. And it's all bad. And so I came away from that just going like I, I didn't know that this body was something that I had to think about. And mm. now that I am thinking about it, it's just bad. It's wrong there. And, and I want to hide it. And I don't want um, and 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 uh, food was restricted by them. And so I started to become good at sneaking food because it was a shameful thing to eat. And that just has continued to haunt me. Like one of the major things I try to do now is never eat in a fashion that's like hidden. Like I'm not going to, I try not to eat by myself. I eat with my wife or my kids, but if for some reason I am, I'm, I'm not going to be eating, you know, it, it, with the same kind of habits and behaviors that I used to, which were like eat everything really quick. So nobody sees me and then hide evidence. And was food sort of, I, and you mentioned like it became similarly for me, 
it was taboo, you know, like it was never, you know, I would go over to friends' houses and see how they would have like easy access to as many gushers or fruit roll-ups as they wanted. And yet it wasn't haunting them. They could eat a package of it and then not finish the box. And for me, and I always wondered, like, maybe if I actually grew up with it in my house, it it would have been less of this like treasure to, uh, you know, to to kind of grasp and and secure. But maybe or maybe not. I don't know. But yeah, growing up, it was like we always had either, you know, cold cuts in the fridge that that was about as exciting as it got. Or as you'll remember in the 90s, snack wells, which was like the original snack or healthy junk food, which I'm sure was just like a bunch of GMOs and preservatives. Right. Yeah. No, I think I, I, I didn't think I haven't thought about this so clearly, but I think that I was always on a diet and it was partially to facilitate my mom who was also on always on a diet, but we, wow. She exclusively shopped at like the quote unquote health food stores. And we just were on every iteration of fad diet that came out. You know, um, there was a period where it was like, you can't eat anything white. And then there was a later diet that you couldn't eat anything red. And like (laughs) we were macrobiotic for a little while. And, and yeah, dude, if I would go over and see real food, like that is palatable to kids at a, at another guy's house, it, it, it would be this confusing thing. Like, how do you live like this? How are you a normal person? And do you find like, one thing I learned with my son from uh, uh, our friends who who have three incredible kids and the mother said, I don't tell my kids to clean their plate or you can't leave the table until your plate is finished because I'm instilling in them this idea of like, you need to eat past being full to then. And in theory, right. It's like, you need to eat past being full to get dessert, to eat more. And I'm like, oh my God, like that was so embedded in me from, from a young age. Yeah. You got to eat the healthy stuff to then get the reward, which is just like food on top of food at the end of the day. Wow. Have you, what was your approach, you know, having four kids and having some, you know, obviously grown kids now that you're going to be a granddad, like, what was that like? Were you in fear of? I wanted so badly. And I'm also a sober person. So I've had my bouts with, with drugs and alcohol. And Me and, too. Oh, nice. I, the other thing in my household growing up was that drugs and alcohol were super taboo. We never had alcohol in the house. I think I saw my Mm. mom have a glass of champagne one time on New Year's Eve. And so food was restricted. Drugs and alcohol were restricted. And I've, I I kind of went into it with my wife who drinks and, and doesn't have a problem with it and can eat pretty much whatever she wants and doesn't have a problem with it. God bless her. Yeah, I (laughs) know. I really wanted that create an environment for my kids without restrictions. So I Mm. didn't want to be like, we only eat health food in this house. And that means Mm. we're going to only shop at these stores. Now I did fail in certain ways because I like told them from a very young age, McDonald's is poison. And then there was a ski trip where they were like five and six and, and 12 and nine and, and, uh, the only thing opened was McDonald's and we were on top of a snowy mountain. I was like, you know, they're going to start turning into gremlins. We have to go there. And the little kids started crying, thinking I was poisoning them. And I was like, I, you know, I was being a little bit hyperbolic. I'm sorry, but I try not to restrict them. Um, it failed when 
my who's now 17 year old daughter when she was four she was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes so then it became this thing of like no uh carbs will actually kill her if you don't like dose her with insulin and and that became tricky because you're then telling a little kid like we have to count how many carbs are in your piece of birthday cake at the birthday party and give you a shot and it just that was tricky but otherwise i wanted a very open environment where it's like like whatever you guys want to do we can have a conversation about it and we're the responsible parents so we're not going to like let you juggle knives but we're also not going to be super, super hardcore about what we're restricting you from. That, that was my approach. Do you find that you, it sounds like we have it even more in common now with like, first of all, let's just talk about like the fact that we're both sober with, you know, drugs and alcohol and also food now. Like I got sober when I was 21 and I, I talk a lot about this in the book. I had like four years from 17 to 21 of being a total cliche, sowing my wild oats, knucklehead, actor with money. And people always say like, wow, 21, you got sober. That's so, so young. And I say, but here's the thing. I lost a hundred pounds by the time I was 18. And what I realized was I had the same head in a new body and I had taken away my medication. And so now I needed to find something with more efficacy and less calories. I, (laughs) (laughs) like I say in the book, it was like trading food for drugs was like trading a Prius for a Ferrari with no brakes. Like you'll probably get to where you were going faster, but you'll die in the process. Like, and, but it was like the, the, the jig was up in the respect of, I got sober 21 because I realized I was like, Josh, you overdo everything. Like it just was so clear at that age. So did you find something similar? I went the other way. I got sober first and wow. then it was like the clarity from the, but, but dude, I was doing both. I was 500 pounds and doing drugs and being a knucklehead and like literally going to sleep most nights going this 90% I die in my sleep tonight. And like, right. I'm not really too like, what can I do? This is what it is. And so getting sober really kind of allowed me to have the clarity to confront weight loss and dieting. And, and, and then I stumbled for many years going like, the solution is just losing weight. I'm not going to confront my entire life right now. You know, and mm. I think through doing that and learning moderation because the difference between food and substances are that you don't need those substances to survive. But at the end of the day, we have to eat food becomes somewhat trickier in that sense. Oh my gosh. Food, any, any of the sort of the, the, the easily addictive things that we need to survive and, which is, and it, it's so interesting that it's all based in our instincts for survival, which is like, you know, either you're spending too much because we all have an instinct to like create some sort of shelter for ourselves. So if you're like obsessed with success or success, sex or food, you're in for it because you're going to have to find <laughs> some way to mitigate that when like we we have these primordial instincts, except mine are just kind of off the charts. They're not in line with my reality. I'm, I have this reptilian brain that tells me I need many shelters. 
I need many people to procreate with, and I need to hoard as much food because the storm is coming. And like, I need to be prepared and fortified. And that is the shit that has literally led me astray my entire life. Yeah. It's so wild. Dude, we're the same person. <laughs> Was that, I don't, I'm not, you know, for me, like I got sober through 12 step and, and like that for me, when I walked into, you know, support group meetings and, and different places where my entire life I'd walked around feeling so unique and that I woke up every morning with this shitty committee in my mind, telling me all the reasons why I wasn't enough. And I figured that I was reasonably articulate that if I couldn't tell you how I was feeling, I must be the only one who feels this way. And so the power of me too, to be able to talk to you, to be able to have like 12 step and the people that I've sort of walked the journey with and a sponsor and whatnot, that was the, the greatest, the, it was the most pivotal moment of my life was when I walked into a room of other people like me and suddenly I wasn't alone. And not only that, these people weren't shattered, right? They were like, had careers, had families. I was like, oh my God, it's possible to live and think the way I do and not be a complete, you know, screw up. Yeah. There's, there's other, there's other techniques that I think guys like you and I have to employ to navigate this world. But I think like, I think what you're saying is so accurate. Look, dude, uh, the first time I lost a bunch of weight, mm. there were paparazzi pictures of me and they just would do like these close-ups on my legs and show loose skin and say that the downside of weight loss and that scum. made me go, yeah. what scum. And I would go like, I'm, that's it. I'm never talking about this. It's so like my body is already this really thing that I don't understand. And I have so many issues with. And now like, I've worked my ass off. I've lost this weight. And that's what you guys are going to focus on. And it was multiple things, you know, where they did this. And then I readjusted and had to really find moderation in food and like have a plan for the rest of my life. And in revisiting it anew, I think what you're saying is 100% accurate. Every time I can have a conversation with somebody that one other person goes, oh, my God, that's just like me. And they're doing OK. That's so powerful, I think, and so helpful that it like helps me stay on track. You know what I mean? Like we're basically having a meeting right now, you know? <laughs> right. No, there's a you know, there's a great uh, line in training day where Denzel says to Ethan Hockey's like, no one will trust you unless you have a little dirt on you. And that's really the heart of 12 step and this idea, I, I, I always attribute it to, and, and granted, there's so many ways in which to do it. Like it's, it's not the only way, but I always attribute it to this idea of like, when I'm looking for advice from someone, I want someone who's 50 feet ahead of me on the same rock wall. And I, because I know that they've just summited that and they can say like, I'm not here to give you advice but here are the holds that I used, yeah. right? That's a good hold. You know, I felt it and it felt really in place. This one's a little sketchy. So be mindful. And it's like, oh, it, it's perfect. I don't have to feel like I'm being taught some parable or some guy who's like having an ego trip on 
being some surrogate father figure to me. It's like literally someone being like, I was just there 20 minutes ago. That's how it looked. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. And here's the route I took. And there are other ones too, but like you can look around and see if they're more perilous than this one. But like, here's this kind of gentle path and anybody can do it really. Do you ever feel like you, like when you sort of had lost a bunch of weight and then put weight back on, did you, could you dissect a moment where you were like, screw it, I'm, I'm going to sort of go back to the way I was eating before? Or was it just like, and maybe I'm projecting here, or was it sort of like a bunch of days in a row where you just kind of fell short? Like, and all of a sudden before you knew it, you were back you know, you were back to where you were. I think for, there was one instance, which I'll come back to where it's exactly what you just said, but uh, the, the, the screw it thing. But for the most part, I just went into dieting. Like if I lose 40 pounds, that's all I have to think about. Or, you know, it was always a much bigger number than that, but whatever the number is, I just need to lose that weight. There wasn't really much of a thought. Like I, I had a blinder on to, I've done this five times. I always gain the weight back. Do I want to make a plan for not gaining the weight back? That was never, I just kept repeating this kind of mindless, I just need to lose this weight. And like, I got to be honest with you, going down to like five, 600 calories a day for a month, it sucks but you lose so much weight and it's really not the end of the world. You have low energy, but like I probably watch too much TV anyway. And so I just sit and watch TV. You know what I mean? Like I couldn't do it at work, but if I had a month or two off, I can do that. No problem. Uh, So I just kind of kept repeating that um, without thinking about like, I don't want to keep doing this. I don't want to have to keep doing this. There was one instance where I'd kept weight off for a long time. And then I wasn't happy with my career. And I, I really was like, I did better. I got better roles. I had more attention from the industry when I was heavier. And I literally wow. said to my wife, I said, I'm fucking over it. I'm killing myself to maintain weight loss. But I was also doing stuff too extremely then. I'm killing myself to maintain weight loss. And like, I'm not working. I'm over it. I'm done. And she was like, Okay. I mean, whatever you want to do. She got together with me when I was having, she has never really cared. She just wants me to be healthy. So she's like, you know, Mm. you can't do anything too unhealthy. And I gained, um, you know, probably 80 pounds and did a dope TV show for a few years that I was like, yeah, this is awesome. And then the TV show ended and I was back at my heavy weight and I was like, not thrilled with life. It's, I mean, isn't that the ultimate sort of Sophie's choice? It was either have this career success and play kind of this like token guy. I mean, at that time, it was this utility role, right? And it doesn't take away anything from your talent, but there was also like always kind of like, there was a small, there was just a smaller pool of heavier actors who were good actors. And there was always going to be a handful of roles every year for a guy like that. And we were probably going out for the same roles, like, or be healthy and sort of, oh my gosh, that is just like, I mean, I remember specifically as I was losing weight, people just said like, are you ready 
to kind of enter the ranks of the hardest sort of uh, pool of, of, you know, like you're going to go against, now you're going to go against Jake Gyllenhaal. You ready? (laughs) And you don't look like him and you're not as talented as him. And I'm like, sick. Let's go. (laughs) I was so like, I remember specifically when I moved out to LA, I was 14 and I was doing the Amanda show with Amanda Bynes, which was like sketch comedy for kids. And then eventually Drake and Josh. And I got into acting class because I'd never been and I knew that I needed it. And suddenly I was surrounded by these, this murderer's row of, you know, young actors, Evan Rachel Wood and, you know, Evan Peters and Penn Badgley and Mae Whitman and all these like incredibly talented kids. And I fell in love with acting. And so by the time I was 16, I wound up doing this movie called Mean Creek, where I played this like bully character who was deeply misunderstood and tragic and human and funny. And it was the first time that I was playing a character that wasn't utterly one dimensional. And I was so hooked. And I also was completely vain and loved the the response that I got and the movie got. And I remember specifically saying, like, I can't wait another 10 years for a part like this to come along. There was no Seth Rogen or Jonah Hill, like sort of trailblazing that path for bigger guys to have cool roles. It was just like, I know that another one's not coming like this. And if I want access to that good stuff, I'm going to have to be able to get in shape and, and be able to sort of transform for roles instead of at this size, I could kind of only stay one way. But it was intimidating and it was scary. And I remember all the warnings I got from people who were like, you know, you seem to really have a really great niche right now. Like, are you sure you want to deviate from that? But I just knew, I, I, I literally once said, to my manager, like if it's between being heavy set and a movie star or working at Albertsons and being thin, I'll take it. I'll go work at the grocery store. I just was, I wasn't willing to trade getting in shape um, or, you know, being heavy and, and super successful. That's so amazing. Yeah. That, that is how <laughs> I feel today. It yeah. took, it took me finding something that wasn't quite as grueling as I was doing before, like before it would be like versions of just kill yourself with uh, not eating or eating in a very specific way and exercising way too hard. And now I've got this, like I exercise for an hour, six days a week and I eat in a certain way that I'm very happy with. And it's like, I can do this forever. This isn't stressing me out. And so in this state, I'm like, yeah, there's no, there's no universe where I go back to as heavy as I was for more fame and more money. It just doesn't, it doesn't work out to being a better life for me. So what is your, what is your approach to eating now? If I may ask, I basically, uh, my meals are all usually dictated by protein. I I eat the majority of what I eat is protein. And then I have some carbs and fat and however that it shakes out, it's like I eat four meals a day. I have a protein shake before I go to the gym and usually a protein shake before I go to bed. But I eat fish, I eat chicken, I eat beef, I eat rice, pasta, and vegetables. Like if I'm just maintaining my weight, not trying to get a little bit leaner, 
I'll have avocados or some olive oil, but otherwise mm. I'm pretty much just getting my fats from the proteins. You know, all that meat also has fat in it. And what was your, like, I remember when I first really started working out, like I was doing push-ups from my knees. I had never been able to do a pull-up. Like, and so I literally had to start with like the thickest rubber band assistance. It's probably giving you like 90 to hundred pounds of assistance and then slowly work my way down. Like it was painful and humiliating on the, just, you know, in a shallow way, humiliating. Cause you don't want to be the dude at the gym. Who's like, has a trainer who has a towel wrapped around your waist, which I did shout out Ronaldo, my first trainer. And he would, <laughs> He'd be like, we're going to get a push-up. And I was like, that's impossible. I've never done it. I'm not good at any sort of ups. And he was like, no, no, no we're going to do it, but I'm going to help mitigate some of this and basically act as like a counterweight and yeah. take some of the weight off your arms. And so what was it like for you when you first walked into a gym? I had, uh, I had asked my wife, she wasn't my wife at the time she was, but, but we were together and I had said to her like, Hey, I want to do this. I want to have a nice long future with you. And I think this is important. She was like, sure, let's do it. Okay. Here's a plan. And I was eating in a certain way, but I dieted for a few years before I ever went to the gym. And that was just her going like, Hey, now that you've lost a bunch of weight, why don't you go do like, there's all, you can do any of this stuff. You can be active now. And she literally like bought me a package with a trainer. And that, that was like 2004 when I started going to the gym and, and it was all, everything was overwhelming and embarrassing and I didn't know how to do anything, but I've been consistently going to the gym now for 18 years. Right. And now, so I, now it's, yeah. I don't even like, I, I write out my plan for, I basically write out like a six week program for myself now and go like, how can I increase the volume of uh, work over those six weeks? So that week one is super easy. Week six is a total nightmare. And week seven, I have to really take it easy and then basically do a new plan for another six weeks. And that's just basically how I live now. Wow. That's, you know, do you find in your life now, that because I can fall into this where like as a byproduct of how out of control we were for many of our life for most of our life like we now have to have extreme control and and a lot of discipline and a lot of you know just being very very clued into like what is going to work for us and constantly it feels like in a growth pattern like I had to reconcile finally that like I I'm I'm like a shark and not in the cool way but that if <laughs> <laughs> if I slow, if I slow down, if I take my foot off the gas and it's not about BS hustle culture and 25 hour, you know, 25 hours in a day, it, it's truly about for me growth and pushing myself spiritually, emotionally, physically, that if I let off the gas, I'm going to spiral. So every day I need to be doing a little something and it maybe if it's just a millimeter of growth. Um, and I find sometimes be, you know, with friends, I can, um, have an issue with their lack of growth or their lack of accountability. Cause I want other people to be like me. And I've had to do so much of that 
that sometimes I'm like, Josh, you're being a jerk. But, and then I'll think like, ah, but that buddy of mine really needs to get his life together. Like I did. Why can't he? <laughs> Do you do that? I've, I'm very much like a kind of a moral relativist. So I just get really super into um, figuring out what is totally correct for me and then try to recognize that I cannot be sure of what is correct for anybody else. Like I've, tr- I've had, I've had in the past instances where it's like, that guy really needs to get sober. I'm going to talk to him and mm. so many failures until, and, and not necessarily that it's not good to remind people that we're here saving them a seat or like, this is always available. Like, that's not what I'm talking about, but I'm talking about like, when I've experienced like trying to explain to somebody like you, you need to change. Also, I just go like, they're not ready. And when they're ready, I'm here and I'll always let people know I'm here and I can fuck. I take you to the gym. I'll take you on a walk. I'll take you to a meeting. I'll take you to a meal, whatever you want. I'm available. Um, But I love what you're saying about growth every day. I like to, I, I, I use that every single day growth every day. I was doing a, a training with a guy, a combatives instructor, and he had the saying, kill your clone. And he said, every single night, you're going to meet a clone of yourself from 24 hours in the past. And any, any fraction of a percentage that you are better off than that clone, you're going to fight to the death. And if you don't improve yourself today, and, and that could be anything, reading a book, uh, going to the gym sticking to a plan you made some kind of betterment that clone will kill you. You got to always be ahead of yourself 24 hours in the past. So I, I love that. What you're saying about that. That's awesome. No, I think it's um, yeah. I've, I've been obsessed my whole life with the finish line. Once I get to my goal weight, then I'll be happy. Once I, you know, uh, get this, you know, I was, I've been on three TV shows in the last five years that literally all started off with people calling me and saying, you ready for your life to change? I'm like, yes, I've been ready ready 20 years. And then you get the call when you're done and they're like, they're not going to make another season. You're like, okay, this feels familiar. Right. And I've always been waiting for the outside to make my inside feel okay. And I was always putting the cart before the horse. It always was an inside job. I always had to be okay you know, despite what was going on in my career or in my bank account or what have you. And the rest of it is all kind of like wonderful. You know, I I talk about in the book, I I went through like three years of such a challenging moment in in my career. And I forced myself to go back to acting class and face a lot of bad habits of stuff as an actor that wasn't working for me that I knew, but my ego wouldn't allow me to face it because I was so terrified that Maybe once I finally looked under the hood, I I would see all the ways in which I wasn't enough. And, but in those three years, because I was sober and because I was still growing, even though I was going through this sort of ego death, I was married, I had had a kid. And so eventually when I got this big job, which was this Disney plus show, I just did Turner and Hooch canceled as well. No big deal. (laughs) (laughs) But it was such a moment to get this huge, you know, uh, impressive, you know, splashy show. And I remember going in for the audition and just saying, like, I'm okay. Like, I have everything that I need and my life will only be slightly improved whether I get this or it won't be impacted negatively at all if I don't. Yeah. And 
that was like a superpower to walk into that room because for my whole life, I had walked into rooms and auditions being like, what do you need? How can I please you? Like, how do I present to you the image that you want to see instead of me walking in as a full whole person saying, I know how to do this. Here's my take on it. If we're in, you know, if we're aligned, excellent. And if not, I hope you find the right guy. Yeah. That's so powerful to be in that position and feel that way, dude. That's, I mean, that, that is, I think the version of the kid with the gut who has his shirt off at the pool that it's like, it doesn't nothing that nothing matter. Like I have an invincibility, you know, I look at like Jack black who half the pictures I see of him, he has no shirt on and (laughs) he looks amazing. I love him. You know, there's another comedian Stavros Halkius who does a, a basically a nude calendar and he's like a chubby little cherubic of a guy. And I'm just right. like, you are a superhuman. And I like, that's like what you have, that feeling, that confidence, that's fucking glorious, dude. That's so awesome. Well, we were, you know, we paid in for it, right? It like, it took, it took blood. Yeah. You know, we had to, we had to pay in. Can I, what was it like? I don't know how much you talk about this, but like, what was it like for you? Like, I remember when I had lost all this weight, but then I had had skin from being so overweight. I wanted to talk about this. You said earlier plastic surgery, and I was like, we got to come back to this. So, no, please, I don't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Well, I realized, you know, that when I was 19 was, I had lost all this weight between 19 and 21, I was around 180 ish pounds, but I'd had this weight and specifically around my chest and then around my midsection. So I still couldn't take my shirt off at the pool. And it wasn't like the, I can't take my shirt off at the pool because I'm still insecure. It was like, no, it, it, people would look at me like I had this anomaly part of me. It wasn't like judgmental. It was like, oh, there's something odd in his anatomy. Yeah. And 
And I remember I, I, I booked this movie that was one of like the greatest experiences of my life. This movie called The Wackness. Yes. And, I love that movie, by the way. Oh man. Thank you. I, you know, and, and I'm, I'm doing the wackness and I have this love scene in the movie and, and, you know, the movie has like my favorite actor, Sir Ben Kingsley in it and Method Man, it's a true New York story. And, and I really feel like I had arrived. Like I, I never would have gotten this part had I not lost the weight. And here I was getting to sort of act as a grown up and not just as a kid star. And there's this love scene. And I had to sit with the director and say, I lost a hundred pounds. I don't look the way I would like to look with my shirt off. Um, and I'm pretty insecure about it. Is there anything you can do or is there anything we can do <laughs> to mitigate this? Cause obviously I want to accomplish what you're going for in the movie. And he, it, it, the director's name is Jonathan Levine. And he couldn't have been cooler. He, he said, I'll take care of you. And if you watch, all the shots are from my back in certain ways in which where I was protected. And I, I was so um, I, I was so grateful. And yet I was like, I got to do something about this. I didn't work this hard to not be able to like have this final bit. And this I did the hard work, but I can't do I can do a million pushups. I'll never tighten this up. So I met with this plastic surgeon and it was literally a 10 hour surgery around my midsection, my chest. And inevitably, I, I wound up having to do it again about 18 months later and just have some revision done because any good plastic surgeon would rather do a little less than too much. Um, but yeah, it was, yeah, it was. And, and still even, and then it took me another 10 years to really like build up the muscle underneath it to where I could like look at myself and feel, you know, slightly comfortable or as, as comfortable as I'll ever be. But what, what was it like for you? Well, this for me is like one of the things that I think is needs for me. And I'll tell you why, because of my experience should be talked about much more. And I don't mm. think it's being talked about. I, I never had a doctor prepare me for this. I had no idea. And then I lost a bunch of weight, had all this loose skin and was kind of just like, God, I guess I got more weight to lose. Got to lose this loose skin, right? And and then it wasn't going away. And then I felt like, well, I'm the freak who lost the weight but has the loose skin because nobody, you know, this is 20 years ago. Nobody, nobody talked about it. I never heard one word about loose skin back then. Right. I tried UV lights. I tried some kind of weird red lights. I tried uh, mineral wraps. I tried all this stuff trying to lose it, creams and lotions. And the skin is still there. The human body does not catabolize skin when you are when you are losing weight. If your skin has stretched out to the point where you and you keep it stretched out that long, you're going to have loose skin. If you lose weight, this is this is just the way that organ works. And then there is no, you know, then you have to take into consideration like how big you were, how big I was we would have to get like 2.5 times heavier than that with muscle because muscle is smaller than fat in order to stretch out all the skin in order to be like as big as we were, but with muscle. So when I finally came to this real understanding, like this skin is not going to go away. Mm. It was devastating to me. And I also went and had surgery and it was also very long. And then I had 
disaster after disaster where I had deep anxiety about gaining weight immediately following surgery. So I didn't rest enough. I fell. I tore my side open. That lasted for like the entire last season or the second to last season of My Name is Earl. I had a wound vac like holding like I can't carried it around like a briefcase attached to this giant wound on my side because I split myself open. Then I gained a bunch of weight. Like it was so awful, dude. Um, uh. But yes, I did all of that. And I think like today I'm super glad that I have less loose skin than I did by a, by a, lo- a large margin, but I still have loose skin. I still am like, you know, traded being morbidly obese for the body I have. I'm much happier with the body I have. I, I, I would never go back. But like this whole thing that I think I looked for for a long time, which was like, I want to feel good about myself. N- none of that has anything to do with it. I need to start by feeling good about myself and work on that. Right. Do you see what I'm saying? Like loose skin right. for me is a real I, I don't know why, you know, there's a lot of people who prey on this and talk about like, if you do intermittent fasting, it will handle it. If you, if you buy this product, it will handle it. It's all bullshit. It's like a, people are totally lying about this. It's totally, it's, it's all lies. And I, I remember when I was like 14 years old and I saw stretch marks around my, my stomach for the first time. And I was like, Oh, I, I had no conception of that. And I remember my mom sort of, just sadly kind of being like, ah, like you can't fix that. And, and it, it was, it it was devastating. And I, and and similarly to you, I mean, I was, I, when I, when I did inevitably have the surgery and this was 2008, there was like, you know, the time was on my side in the respect of like, it had come to a point. I remember specifically DJ AM had lost a bunch of weight. And he was sort of public with his surgery and whatnot. So I knew it was possible. And even now, you know, uh, to be completely transparent, after 15 years, I've wanted to kind of do a tune-up and get some of the surgery and, you know, and and just like a little bit of, because again, it's like, it's better to be done in increments than just sort of one. It's impossible to get it all the first time if you were incredibly, you know, overweight the way I was. And I... I don't do it because I just don't want to, to your point, I don't want to be out for a month. I want to work out and I have a three-year-old and I'm running around. And, and so I'm always sort of like dealing with this idea of like, do I wait five years, but then I'm 40, like, or do I do it at 35 so I can actually enjoy like, cause how long will I want to take my shirt off? Probably not for much longer, (laughs) (laughs) but I, you know, I, I think what's great at 2022 is like, if you've done the hard work and, you know, it, it ain't cheap by any means, but if you have the means to do it, like I am a big proponent of it. Cause it's like, again, to your point, it's the one thing that's not within it, within our control. We can't fix that part of it. Yeah. No, I, 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 I listen, I look at, there's a couple of guys on um, social media who are like have the loose skin and are just like this is what i got and i'm going to be proud of it and to those guys i am always like thank you because at least it's like showing people like this is part of it um right i i wouldn't i don't know that i could do the surgery again today simply because of what you're saying like 
I'm about to be, I'm about to have a little baby in my life again. And I'm 45, you know, and like, it's, I don't know. It's I've, I don't want to take three months off. Right. I, I sure. I tore my bicep in 2017 and had to have surgery and take time off. And, but, but like within a week I was working everything else out and I was just right. like, come on this. I can't, I don't. And it's not, today from a place of anxiety it's from a place of like i feel better after the gym i want that kind of kick of endorphins and i you know i don't want to design my life around three months on the couch it's not interesting to me but i would not if i could snap my fingers take away having had that surgery i wouldn't do it no i mean it's it's again it's just a part of it and like that's I look at it, you know, I, I married into this football family where my wife's father was a professional football player. And there's just like, you know, her brother played and uh, played D1 for Fresno and whatnot. So like, I now feel like an athlete in my own right of like my own, like, you know, former chubby guy athlete to where like the scars and whatnot, like, and it's so corny and such a trope, but it's like the scars tell a story. They're cool. They mean you've lived. And like, I'm not trying to go out with like some perfectly pristine body that never saw like a little bit of sunlight and a little bit of, of, of some hard weight. And so I, I actually tore my pec oh, doing wow. bench press um, a couple of years ago in uh, at, at CrossFit. So if, if you ever read, if I ever needed more of a reason not to do CrossFit, it was that. So <laughs> yeah. look at us, dude. Look, I mean, we were, you know, more likely to tear a, a finger grabbing something from the craft service table in our teens. And now we're like tearing muscles, like working at working out, putting up heavy weight. Yeah. Like that's, it's incredible. I agree. I'm very impressed by us. I will say that. Like, I think you and I are impressive. Dude, who, who, it doesn't get better than this. Come no, on. Look really at us. We're winning. We're overpaid. I want to know um, what you eat. What is your plan? I am, you know, I, I need to be more regimented because I, I'm not, <laughs> I, I, I basically ballpark everything in my head. I, I roughly know the calories of everything that I eat. So I'm constantly trying to work at a deficit and keep it under. I'm like, well, I know I need 2000 to 2,500 calories just to like sustain homeostasis and for my brain and my body to be able to survive. And if I have a good workout, which I too work out six days a week, I'm like, okay, so that'll give me anywhere from 500 to 700 calories to play with as well. So if I'm looking at 3000 calories for the day, I'm trying to keep it somewhere between 2000 and 2500. And again, it's to your point, it's a lot of, I've, I've fallen in love with foods I never liked. I do a lot of um, sardines, which yeah, I know is- Dude, it's it's so easy. It's in a can. I know everyone listening is like, that sounds awful, but they're actually pretty damn good. Sometimes I'll throw it over some rice um, and that'll be like a major meal. But I try to just sort of throughout the day, be mindful of like, if I have like a good size carb with one meal during the day to try to stay away from carbs the rest of the day. Or there's like a good chance most days I'm going to eat something sweet. But again, it's like a handful of popcorn with my kid or, you know, a bite of an ice cream or something. But in a weird way, like I was never able to find that with drugs and alcohol. And thus I knew I had to completely become abstinent from that. 
but I've been able to have a quasi healthy relationship with food. But the reality is with food and with everything else, I feel like there's this idea of mindfulness and I'm not taking shots at mindfulness. If it works for you, great. But I had to reconcile that I had to wave the white flag. I had to, to give up to win. And I knew that with drugs and alcohol and that I would never have a normal relationship with them. And thus I had been fighting for so long, trying to drink like a gentleman, trying to smoke a little weed and paint or like, you know, go to the club. And I'd be like, why are we on the dance floor? Like, let's go to the bathroom. That's where the good stuff is. Yeah. Like you guys keep wanting to dance and socialize. Like, no, no, let's just go back to my apartment. Yeah. Um, because the drugs and the drinking and the food was the medicine. I wanted to be where the medicine was, not where the experience was. And, and even with food, though I've found a bit of moderation, I have fully come to terms with the fact that I'll never have a totally healthy relationship with it, that I always have to be aware, that I'll always have to work out so that I don't feel like I'm, I'm, I'm out of control. And that's okay. Um, I don't have any delusions that I, you know, I, people, I'm sure you, you get this when people say, I forgot to have lunch. I'm like, you what? <laughs> what universe is this? I've been thinking about lunch since last night. Right. <laughs> like, forgot lunch. Like, I'll just never be that guy. So I need to be um, vigilant with the way I approach it. Yeah, I love that. And I think for guys who are like us, who who feel out of control in areas, the gym is such a good thing because it's objective metrics. It's how many times did I lift this weight off my chest, right? How many pounds did I push off my chest? How many push-ups did I do? It's total control and it's our, it's all within our realm of responsibility. So it is like the, that nice thing. I just want to know when you started the calories, because I do basically a version of what you do too. I have an idea of what I'm allowed to eat for the day. Um, I do it more with in terms of macros. Like I got a certain mm. number of grams of protein, a certain amount of grams of carbs. Doesn't really matter where I put them so long as I don't exceed that. But it's all based on calories. Um, when you started doing that, did you have to like reference calorie king a lot or hit stuff into my fitness power? How did you how did you start to determine that? Because I, I think it's the dream of anyone who's counting calories to get to the point where they can live without having to open that book. But it's not necessarily true that they don't have to start by opening that book. No, absolutely. I just think because uh, from even, you know, 10, 11 years old, I mean, I think I was like the only nine year old on Atkins, like which for anyone who's unaware was the OG keto and shout out Dr. Atkins who really got dragged <laughs> for like having this like in quotes unhealthy diet and now like we just renamed a keto and it's the exact same thing yeah. um but i um yeah i was 10 or 11 years old being aware of like how many carbs were in things and reading labels because again i would have like you know a week where i'd lose 10 pounds and everything would be looking good and then inevitably fall off so it's just deeply ingrained in my in my head or you know, when I'll, when I'll be working, I'll, I'll sort of make um, a habit of, you know, for lunch, I might just have a sandwich, but I know that on wheat bread, they're probably 80 calories a slice. And there's probably like 19 grams of carbs, but like 
maybe three of those are fiber if it's if it's Dave's killer bread and <laughs> and then like if it's egg salad or tuna salad like the that portion probably has ah, anywhere between 15 and 25 grams of protein and and light mayo light whatever so the fat's not crazy so I'm constantly and yeah and then for me I'm like okay how can I get to 100 grams of protein at least for the day so if it's like oh I've had two chicken breasts and some egg salad and maybe a protein bar, like I'm, I'm within that range. Yeah. That's amazing. I want to, I want to do a shout out and recommend to you too, because I, I really am more of a savory fatty kind of a, like I would rather get a bunch of cheeseburgers than a <laughs> ice cream sundae. But sure. in this new life where I hadn't eaten anything sweet for so long and then, you know, like a pint, like it's hard for me to have a bite of ice cream. I want a pint of ice cream. Really, I want a quart, but I could settle for a pint. And there's sure. this enlightened, which is pretty damn good. And it's got the same calories as a quarter of a pint. And you get to eat the whole pint. So you get that experience of getting to the bottom, you know? So like that's, I do that too. But I, I think- Oh my God, I'm ordering it now. Oh, it's so good. Enlightened <laughs> I'm is in. so good. It's all um, I needed to hear. Yeah. Um, I, I love what you're saying. And I love that it's just become- this thing that you're aware of mindfulness is a word drives me up the wall. And, and I, you know, I've never been like really all that enamored by the hippies. I was a punk rock kid and the hippies were a whole other thing to me. And this idea <laughs> of mindfulness and like Zen and all that, I'm just like, what the fuck is that? But I try to do like, okay, we're going to be mindful. I'm going to be mindful of like, this meal that I know that I've composed with the proper amount of energy for my body, I'm going to be aware while I'm eating it, what's happening in my body. So that's my attempt at mindfulness. It's not just like I'm going to be uh, ethereal and Zen like through the day. Cause I don't know what the fuck that is. I don't know either. And I think much of my book is kind of, you know, uh, to your point, mindfulness, these, these slogans we get fed, the idea is great, but it's a destination yeah. and it's no clear route on how to get there. And so for me, the idea of my book, happy people are annoying was like happiness seemed like this destination, this Byzantine place that was reserved for like quarterbacks and <laughs> people who were like born into wealth. And that you were either born that way or you weren't. And it was literally through trial and tribulation, through all these challenges that I found my own route and version of happiness. And yeah, but uh, to your point, I, I totally agree. It's like, I, I want to know, uh, there's this great line about Richard Pryor when he was really starting to like blast off and his manager goes like, you know, it's really good. You know, we're, you're going to do the forum next year. And then we've got the Hollywood bowl. And then you're going to be a radio city of Madison square garden. And, and all of that will be in the next, you know, 18 months to two and a half years. And Richard looks at him and goes, yeah, but what the fuck are we doing tomorrow? Like, <laughs> yeah, That's all I care about now. What are we doing tomorrow? What that's are we it. doing in the next hour? Josh, it's so beautiful. Thank you so much. This was been such a great conversation. I really appreciate it. Oh man. Thank you. Such a pleasure, dude. I'm such a fan. And now for the Q&A. Today's question is from Brian. Hi, Brian. He says, hello, Ethan. First off, I'm a huge fan of your podcast and want to congratulate you on all your weight loss success. Thank you. My, my question is this. 
I started my weight loss journey in October after going to the doctor. I was mortified when I saw that I had passed the 500 pound mark. I knew I had to change my life. So working with my doctor, I started making changes. So far, I've lost 60 pounds in my first three months. Fucking awesome. My, yeah. My doctor is pleased and asked if I ever gave weight loss surgery, I thought. I'm not really sure what to do. I've been successful so far for the first three months, but I'm afraid that I'll fail like many other times and go back. I know weight loss surgery is not a magical solution, but rather a tool to help you be successful. I'm curious about your thoughts about having the surgery and using it as another tool in the toolbox. Yeah. Well, my thoughts on having the surgery are... I have a buddy who had the surgery and he's very happy with it. And so I'm, uh, and I'm supposed to should have him on actually to talk about it. Um, uh, I guess, you know, there are some aspects of the surgery that I didn't know. Like one is they don't just give anybody the surgery. You have to, uh, you have to diet and show that you're, responsible enough you know because if you if you have the surgery and then you eat yourself sick you actually do risk doing more damage than you did previously um mm -hmm. if they've if they've cut out part of your stomach or put some kind of a band on it like you can you can actually harm yourself so you know i think there's the incentive there like you get fuller much faster um but I also think for guys like me and Brian who were 500 pounds, I don't think we were always eating strictly because we were hungry. And so if you start to do that, um, once you've had the surgery, there can be complications. Uh, <clears throat> you know, I... I think if what you're doing and what you've been doing for three months, I, I, I will put myself in his shoes and go like, if I had started down a path and I was having success, I wouldn't maybe divert my efforts and go do something else. I would try to continue with um, what I was having success with. That doesn't necessarily mean you're going to, succeed if there's a failure there uh then i think at that point it's probably safe to make a new determination on another path or a pivot or whatever um mm -hmm. the surgery honestly because i definitely thought about getting those surgeries and i was just really scared uh Mostly, I think, is why I probably didn't do that. It's just because I was scared of surgery. Um, and then there was also a part of me that, like, wanted to, quote, unquote, do it on my own, which I don't really think we really do much of anything on our own. So that's, like, a a weird, not true thing that I'm telling myself anyways. You know, mm -hmm. I think we, we're reliant on other people and, and tools with, with anything we do. And so... Mm -hmm. Um, in those terms, I, 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 you know, these are just all my, truly my, um, thoughts on it. Yeah. I like that you pointed out that he is being successful 
on what he's doing right now, you know, like, um, I don't know, you know, I knew my, my dad and my stepmother both had that, um, a long, long time ago. And I think uh, something tells me, I want to say one of them had it twice. Um, I don't know if I'm just making that up, but I remember that when my stepmom did it, she, um, wound up in a, she was in a support group afterwards, right. Of people who had also had it because you said earlier, you know, sometimes we're eating, not just because we're hungry, right. We're eating for other reasons. And so I think there was like a lot of addressing of that and talking through those things, because I remember her telling me about a friend who just kind of put it all back on and like, you know, if you keep pushing, you can expand your stomach again and you can, you can, you know? So, um, I feel like, I don't know. And then I know people that did it. Had an, I think my dad did very well with it actually for a period of time, but then slowly, slowly, slowly just kind of, you know, also came back. So I think it's, um, I don't know, it's such a person that feels like such a personal thing to decide. Like you said, you were afraid of, you know, getting surgery in general. That's how I would be. Like, I'm totally freaked out about stuff like that. So it just, I don't know. It's such a personal choice. It's a personal choice. And, and the other thing, and look, I, I, these are my, um, thoughts on it. These are my thoughts that I've had since the first time I heard that it was a thing, right? Mm -hmm. I think there's no guarantees on any of this. Any diet you do has no guarantee. The surgery has no guarantee. Like you can, you can fail at anything. Um, the thing I think of when I think about, uh, gastric bypass or lap band or, or any of this thing is that, um, it produces pain or extreme discomfort when you overeat. And I mm. think that if you're really, really having trouble, um, stopping yourself from eating, you know, I don't love the idea of pain as a consequence, uh, just, just as a principle, I, it doesn't seem like a great thing to me that said, if it's going to require something like that from some individuals in order to make the change, I, I don't, I don't dislike it in a way that I judge them. I dislike it in a way that it, that I, that I don't want to experience it. Um, mm -hmm. if that makes sense, you know what I mean? Like, I'm never going to sit here and go like this guy lost weight eating fen fen. Therefore it's invalid fucking weight loss is weight loss. You know what I mean? I've done every mm -hmm. diet. I was put on fen fen when I was like 10 years old. Um, really? Yeah. And I didn't sleep and then I was taken off of it. And then, you know, however long later it was discovered to like not be good for you. Um, mm -hmm. but like if, if you have, I, I just think like, I, you know, if somebody's poo pooing it because for some reason, like that it's invalid, I, I utterly disagree with that. I don't think that any individual's success is invalid. So if you, if you're 500 pounds and, and that's going to help you and it does, then I'm super supportive. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I was 500 pounds and thought about it and was scared and didn't want to experience the pain that I was convinced. So 
the other thing I would keep in mind is like for me, I know that I could have screwed it up had I done it. I know that I wasn't eating strictly for hunger. And so the things that I concentrate on now, which is don't, I'm not, I'm, tr- I'm trying to eat with a purpose of fueling my body versus um, some kind of a, a, an emotional governor, right? I, I would still need to do that if I went and got that surgery today mm-hmm. or if that was what got me here, the only way that I'm going to, that I've been able to maintain any of this accomplishment has been through really trying to figure out why it is I'm compelled to overeat and, and work on healing myself in that way. Right. Yeah. That's really well said. And I think we say it all the time. Obviously you're not a doctor, right? And he said, he's talking to his doctor about it and feels like that's, you know, also just getting all the pluses and minuses from a medical perspective, you know, cause everybody's also different. So just, so, yeah, obviously important to keep that conversation going. Yeah. <laughs> None of this is medical advice. Uh, l- listen, <laughs> I-, I don't know that anything I say is, should be true for anybody else. It's just what I find true. By the way, it's only what I find true right now. Tomorrow I could completely disagree with everything I've said. I'm, okay. I'm uh, making that known. Right. Good. Well, well, (laughs) good to know. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you for the question and let us know, you know, how it goes and what you decide and how, how you do on your, uh, on your journey that you're on. Yes. If you have a question that you'd like answered here by Ethan, please email it to us at americanglutton.net. Thanks for listening to this episode of American Glutton. I'm Ethan Suplee. You can follow us on Instagram at American Glutton Podcast. Sincerely. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. <laughs> 